perfect mess is my perfect mess. Welcome to the first episode of the Perfect Mess Podcast. I'm your host, Ray Molina. I really want to thank you for coming to check me out for the first time. Um, before we get started, if you would like to support everything I'm doing here with the podcast, and for those of you who are familiar with me, if you just like what I'm doing, you can head on over to patreon.com slash theperfectmesspod, and we've got some information there that you can join and see how you can support the podcast. All right. So moving on. Why did it take so long? Um, I've got that question a lot. I've had people Instagramming me, sending me DMs, Facebook, uh, you name it, text messages. What is going on with the podcast? Um, And I think after the first episode, this episode, uh, you will understand why it's taking me so long. Uh, this is a very personal, very personal podcast, um, something new that I'm doing. I'm jumping into a new lane, something that I've never done before. Uh, so you got to forgive me if things are a little rusty. I know I'm going to look back on this video in years from now and go, wow, uh, that was quite embarrassing. Um, so hopefully you can bear with me um, and enjoy or I don't know about enjoy. I don't know if enjoy is the best word, but hopefully you sit back and really take some time to listen to what I'm about to tell you um, and how I started. Um, the logo for the podcast, uh, shout out to my guy, Baka Boom. Um, I will plug his Instagram uh, on YouTube. You can check him out, and I will also plug it on Instagram, on Instagram uh, so you guys can check out his artwork. Uh, beautiful logo, and it basically is everything that is me and my life and the absolute chaos and mess that it is. Um, but it is the perfect mess, and you're going to understand why after you hear this first episode or you watch on YouTube. Um, so let me get started. Uh, I was born and raised in San Jose, California. And uh, I spent some time in Denver, Colorado as well. So shout out to my people out in Denver. Um, I love you guys. And shout out to my hometown, San Jose, California. Um, I come from a broken home, uh, which is interesting because my parents were twice divorced. Um, but before I jump ahead, I am the father of two boys. Uh, my son's names are Jaden and Jordan. And I am... Three years into a divorce. Uh, so, yeah, there's that. We'll get to that. Um, but my parents, they were married twice, which was probably not the best, uh, probably not the best decision, but we'll get to that as well. Um, but yeah, so the first divorce happened when I was probably around five or six. And I remember, um, as much as I can remember at that age, I remember my father being, um, being very abusive, um, with my mom. And eventually it got to the point where, 
uh, police were involved. Uh, and I just remember growing up seeing, um, seeing a lot of violence, seeing a lot of arguing, seeing a lot of, um, physical abuse. Um, and I just, at that age, uh, it's hard to understand what's going on. You're trying to process this, you know what I mean? Um, but I remember a lot, oddly enough, uh, at that age, you forget things, right? I mean, you don't remember things at that age because you're really young. Um, but for some reason, these things stuck in my mind. Um, and I remember my father um, quite a few times uh, physically assaulting my mom uh, to the point where uh, the police needed to be called and um, they would show up. And I, re I remember just sitting there and my father, when the cops would come, would go into these seizure like convulsions um, and end up on the floor. Uh, and one particular time, I remember uh, going, I remember going into the kitchen because the paramedic had showed up because when the cops were there, he had started having convulsions and whatnot. And I remember going into the kitchen and seeing him on the floor um, and the paramedics trying to help him um, and overhearing after a while that, uh, that nothing was wrong with him, that everything was okay, that apparently what had happened was he didn't want to get in trouble for... Um, what had happened to my mom. And so he forced himself into this seizure-like state and the paramedics said there was nothing wrong with him. Um, and he would do this all the time. Um, and I remember it vividly uh, because I was scared that my, my father was going to die. Um, and this was a way to, I don't know, it was a way to have my mom feel remorse, feel sorry, um, and, and, and hope that he, that he wasn't dying, that he hoped that he was okay. Um, and it worked for a long time. Uh, well, I shouldn't say a long time, for a while. Um. They divorced around probably when I was five or six. That was the first time. Um, and we left. And I I know we bounced around a few times, quite a few times, from different aunts and uncles' houses because um, it was just me and my mom. We didn't have a whole lot of money. Um, so we spent some time. Well, basically, I grew up all over the east side of San Jose. And... Uh, like I said, we bounced around quite a few times. Um, I remember growing up uh, and living in a house that had a drug bust. <laughs> yeah. Um, I remember being at a family member's house and a bunch of unmarked cars coming up on the grass 
and the doors being kicked in and we were all down like we were all told to lay down and at this time I was probably seven or eight and I just remember them going through the house and people getting arrested and it was nuts um and again these memories are ingrained in my head because they were so traumatizing they were things that I will never forget and this happened like I said after the divorce um we had moved uh with a, a family member and and bounced around multiple times so <laughs> that was that was pretty that was pretty um pretty hard to deal with seeing friends and fam friends of the family and family getting arrested um throughout this i mean they were tearing floorboards up and everything i had no idea what was going on i mean i was a kid i didn't all i was doing was going to school and coming home and playing with my cousins uh and friends in the neighborhood so to this day i don't really know what happened i just know that we were raided and that happened <laughs> so that was very traumatizing um the hardest part of that probably was I remember playing outside and a little girl coming up to me from the neighborhood and as I was riding bikes with a friend of mine and she said I, my mom says that your house is the drug house that if that she bets if they open the door that there's drugs all over the place there and I remember just being hurt and embarrassed, but not not having a comeback, not knowing what to say um, because of what had happened. And it got worse because when I went to school, um, you know, kids are kids are not nice. Young kids are not nice to each other. Um, especially back then they were, just, <laughs> they were very, they were saying very hurtful stuff to me. Um, it was just embarrassing, uh, because it hit the news, the whole neighborhood saw it. Of course, when things like that happen, people come out of their houses, everybody's looking. I, I thank God there was no social media back then. Um, but yeah, so that was, that was very, very hard for me to go through. Um, and that was probably, like I said, when I was about seven or eight, uh, and I'm telling you all this, all of this stuff, because before this podcast really gets going and we start doing episode after episode, it's really important that you understand how this all became, how this podcast came to be. And for those of you who are wondering, who is this guy? Why is he doing a podcast? Is who, who the hell is he? Um, and why do I need to be listening? This is why I'm doing this introduction. It's going to be very in-depth, um, so you understand, all right? So, um, around 1984 I is when I first learned about same-sex relationships. Uh, because, again, like I told you, we were moving around. So, the next place we moved to... Um, was with some family friends who were two women who were in a relationship together. 
which I had never, I had never seen, witnessed, or anything. I had it was it was new to me. I didn't understand it. Um, it was just foreign. Uh, and this is this is 1984. So yeah, it was still. It it wasn't like it is now. You know, now you see couples and it, it's normal. Um, but back in 84, it was different. So I learned about that. And uh, so living there was very new to me. It was it was actually kind of hard. I struggled with it um, because I also had family that was really into church. And they had always told me, you know, that's not right. You know, God frowns on that. Yada, yada, yada. So, you know, I grew up thinking, what's going on here? Um, So that was very, very, that was a very interesting time for me. (laughs) Um, Around 1985, things got real. Um, That is the year that uh, my mom decided that things were too hard for her. Uh, and that she needed some time to really get her life together. And she needed to figure out how she was going to do that. And she made the hard decision uh, of signing papers to uh, basically give custody of me to um, to my grandparents. I found those papers... Uh, probably when I was 21, 22. Uh, And that was a very, that was very hard to, like, you know it happens, but when you actually see the documents, um, it's kind of earth-shaking. So that was 1985. My mom officially gave up custody of me and um i was officially in the under the care and custody of my grandparents uh tough tough um i don't know how else to put it i went to my grandparents house and it was it was hard at first because my grandfather is a Marine, and I never had stability in my life. Uh, my dad wasn't around after the divorce. Um, he was in and out of jail. He was bouncing from relationship to relationship, um, and I just didn't see him very much. Um, and my mom and me were bouncing from home to home, trying to make ends meet. Uh, I changed schools quite a few times. Uh but I never had any real structure. I never had any any guidelines. And I never had a male role model to teach me what it was to be a man. In come my grandparents. My grandfather and my grandmother taught me about structure, taught me about um, taught me about discipline, about respect, about going to bed at the right time, about doing my homework, about, I mean, just everything. They just gave me structure. And for the first, probably for the first year, it was tough for me, but I adjusted. Uh, 
Um, I started to really take in what my grandfather was teaching me. Um, and it really started to resonate with me. And I appreciate him. My grandfather, uh, for those of you who know me, is basically my hero. Um, the man has taught me everything. He's taught me how to be a man. He's taught me about respect. He's taught me about love. He's taught me about everything. How to how to get through tough times. How to power through. How to just everything. How to survive. And my grandmother just taught me about family. She taught me that family's first. Um, and it's the most important thing that you have in your life. And when you have one, you take care of it at all costs. Um, and she was always the hub, you know, uh, she was the hub for the family. You know, anytime holidays were, were, were happening, everybody went there. All the family, it was like a bat signal came out. All the family came out and uh, they came to the house. Uh, so she really, I really learned what family structure was. I didn't have that, um, didn't have that at all in my life. So that's what they provided me. Now, during this time, I want to be clear, I saw my mom all the time she would always come I would always go with her she'd come pick me up and we'd go places and whatnot so she was very very active in my life always there um, so I want to be clear on that and she put in she put in the work to make sure that I understood that she was trying to get herself in a better position to where when I got back with her she could take care of me the right way the way I deserved because she knew that I wasn't doing well in our current living situation that I wasn't I wasn't happy and I didn't understand everything that was going on and everything that was happening was devastating to me devastating um my grandparents had me for about four years um and yeah <laughs> I didn't think it was going to be four years, to be honest with you. And I thought it would probably be about a year. But no, it ended up being uh, four years. But I'll tell you, those four years changed my life forever. Um, because it was the foundation that I needed. Uh, my life was basically built on sand prior to that. And they gave me the foundation. And, um, and I'm very, very appreciative for them. I love them so much. Um, yeah, like I said, if you're familiar with me and you know me and you follow me on Instagram or whatnot, you know how much uh, I hold my grandfather and my, uh, and my grandmother, God rest her soul. She passed away four years ago. Um, but yeah, they're very important to me. Um, my dad, like I said, spent a lot of time in and out of jail. And... The interesting part is the last time he got out of jail, he came home and moved in with my grandparents, which was super rocky, to say the least, because I happened to be living there. Um, and it became a power struggle between my grandparents and him because he didn't quite grasp the fact that, yeah, I'm your son but I'm under their custody. So there was a couple of incidents that happened. Excuse me. There were a couple of incidents that happened that my grandmother uh, had to step in and say, hey, 
This is not your place to say this or to do this. You have an issue, you bring it to me. So there was, there was, they were butting heads crazy in the house. Um, there was always tension in the house. It was just, it was very hard. Um, and I didn't know how to talk to him. Um, like I said, he wasn't around very much. And when I seen him, it wasn't always the best of circumstances. It was when he had his girlfriend with him and they would be fighting. So I seen the same thing that I would see with him and my mom. I would see with him and his girlfriends. It would be arguments, like through the roof arguments, crazy arguments, name calling, you name it. Um, and it was never just us. Like we never did you know, go to the park, go to ball games, throw the ball around. Like we didn't do father, uh, father, son things at all ever. Um, so him being back in that house was a weird dynamic. It took a very long time for that to be somewhat normal. And I don't think it was ever going to be perfect, but, uh, thank God for my grandparents. They, they helped make that work. Um, him living there meant that he would see my mom more because <laughs> my mom, like I said, would come by often and either visit or I would go with her. So if your mind's going where you think it's going, you are correct. She would be around a few times and they would end up rekindling uh, and yeah. And they would end up going to Reno. I believe it was Reno. I don't think it was Vegas. I believe it was Reno. And remarrying. And it was the worst idea. I was 13. And I wanted a normal home. I wanted family. Because after learning what it really felt like with my grandparents... I really wanted that. So being a 13-year-old naive kid, I I just wanted family. So when they both brought up the idea, I was all for it because you know, my dad was going to church, uh my mom was getting her life together and I I thought okay, because in my mind, I just wanted, I just wanted my family. I wanted us to be whole. And if if this was going to be the chance, then I wanted it. But it was, it was worse than the first time. Um. In the midst of all this, before we move forward, in the midst of all this, this was around eighty eight. In the midst of all this, I ended up meeting uh, the woman that I would end up marrying 20 years later uh, and having my two children from. So during everything that I'm telling you right now, I was going to middle school and I ended up meeting uh, the woman I ended up marrying 20 years later uh, and having my two wonderful little boys with. So there is a silver lining in there. Um but it didn't take long. My parents and I moved in together um, and things almost immediately got physical. 
my dad was still going to church. Um, my mom, and I do have a sister, uh, by the way, uh, from another another gentleman my mom was dating while my mom while my mom and dad were divorced uh so the four of us were living together um but yeah my dad was going to church and was pretty much forcing us to go to church um now i don't now i say it and i want you guys to understand it's not that i didn't want to go to church but he was Basically forcing, not basically, he was definitely forcing us to the point where it was arguments in the morning, it was yelling, it was get out of bed, it was hurry up, we're going to be late, get up, I'm not going to miss this, I'm not going to miss that, get, I mean, foul language left and right, slamming doors, hurry up, get ready, yada, 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 I'm warming the car up, if you're not in the car by this time, I'm this, I'm that, and, uh, that was Sunday mornings and then we would go to church and I would look and I would see this man with his hands in the air praying in a puddle of tears and I couldn't understand how this was the same person that was at the house 30 minutes ago raising hell to now being what he's doing right now and I became really bitter I became really angry and I began to question like God don't you do you believe this because I don't believe this and I actually started to believe that church was fake I started believing that God wasn't real because he, they, he he was allowing this man to be how he was and then come here and be completely fake. Fast forward a little bit. Like I said, the abuse continued. Uh, and one day he had gotten to an argument with my mother. Um and literally beat the piss out of her in the hallway of our home um like a kid like you would smack somebody like he just he hit her so hard in front of me that i had a i freaked out i jumped off the couch i was watching tv and I started yelling and screaming. And he wouldn't stop hitting her. I jumped up. I yelled and I told him I'm calling the police. And I did. And he told me to call him. Go ahead, call him. And I called the police. And as I am... On the phone with the dispatch lady, she's telling me to calm down, stay on the phone. Uh, he is literally over my shoulder, taunting me, telling me, yeah, you had to call the police. You scared? You had to call the police? Yeah, you scared? 
this is my father telling me this. The dispatch lady is telling me, don't listen to him. You stay on the phone. Do not hang up. I said, I won't. I won't. My mom, he leaves, goes in the room, slams the door. My mom comes and sits on the living room couch. And she's unrecognizable. I had never seen a woman beat so bad. I hadn't seen a woman's face swell up like that before, ever. Um, I was a freshman in high school when this happened. And the cops show up, and he refuses to come out. He's at the door, and he's like, I know my rights, and... He refuses to come out, and so they get physical, drag him out. He gets arrested, um, and that's that. I end up going to um, a shelter not long after that because some more stuff happened, and they told my mom that they are taking me from her until she moves out and gets out of there and that I wasn't able to come home until my mom figured out her living situation that I cannot be there that I, I'm in danger so I spent a few weeks in a shelter with kids who were runaways kids who were trouble kids who were lost and I gotta tell you man That was hard. It was scary. I was just afraid. I was just afraid. I, I had never been in a situation like that before. What led to that, though, was an incident of my father had thought I had lied about something I was doing like somewhere I had went with the my best friend at the time and I told him I didn't lie I said I showed him proof he said you're lying to me you didn't go to where you said you I said yes I did and uh, you know typical kid parent argument um but he did not believe me he had a really bad temper he picked me up right here by the bottom of my neck and held me up and was yelling at me and then flung me across the room and I hit a chair um, and I was I was hurt like I knew I was hurt because I couldn't get up um, that ended I went to sleep uh, the next day I went to school um, I have a history of asthma but so I was having a hard time breathing at school. I went to school and I told the teacher, one of my classes, I was like, I can't, I'm having a hard time breathing. I need to, can I go to the nurse? And she said, yeah. Uh, I went to the nurse. The nurse, you know, they do the checkup. They do the stethoscope and whatnot. Lifted up my shirt and, you know, I'm. she's having me breathe in, breathe, you know. And then finally she looks at me and she's like, what happened? And I said, what do you mean? 
and uh, I look down, and there is a bruise under the right side of my armpit where my rib cage is. Huge, like a huge bruise that's covering the whole side of. And I didn't know that was there, to be honest. I didn't see it when I got dressed for school that morning. And I said, oh, I fell. And she said, no, what really happened? And I remembered and I just started crying. And she said, tell me what happened. So I told her what happened. I got escorted off the, she called Child Protection Services, uh, San Jose PD came and picked me up at the school, escorted me off the campus in the back of a police car in front of all the people I went to school with, all my classmates. And uh, yeah, yet again, another embarrassing moment. And that's how I ended up in the shelter. Um, and they told my mom, this is too much. We we keep getting called to your house and now this is happening. This is too much. He can't come home. Um. So, yeah, that's how I ended up in the shelter. Um, my mom did end up leaving. Um, and uh, losing my train of thought. Let me see. Anyways, we ended up leaving, but the separation didn't last. Separation didn't last too long. Why? I don't know. <laughs> we somehow ended up, after a few months away, we somehow ended up living together again, this time in a new home. And it was the same thing. All over again. All over again. So all through my high school years, off and on, was drama. Just nonstop. You name it, it was going on. Uh, physical abuse verbal abuse uh just drinking drugs i mean you name it everything was going on and that was all through high school so through all this my parents never really had a plan for me like i never it was never like hey when you graduate you're gonna go to jc or you're gonna go to university or we're gonna help you go to school afterwards there was never any talk about that. There was never any, this is what we're going to do, son. None of it. Uh, you know, so while other kids were getting prepared, you know, taking college prep classes and, and getting prepared to go to the next level, uh, I didn't have a plan. Uh, it just was never set up for me. So when I graduated, it was basically, congratulations, you graduated now, get a job. Um, and that sucked. That really sucked. Um, shortly after I graduated, I did the right thing. And I want to be clear with that because sometimes people say I did the wrong thing when I did this, but no, I'm going to tell you I did the right thing. I did the right thing and I confronted my dad, uh, one night because he had an altercation with my mom uh, and it got physical again and we in turn got physical and he didn't like that so I got kicked out of the house 
So this was the end of 1993. I had just graduated. No, this was summer of 1993. I had just graduated. And uh, yeah, that's how after high school started for me. I'm kicked out of the house. Didn't really have anywhere to go. Uh, and I'm thankful that uh, a cousin of mine was renting out, uh, was living in a house that had rooms to rent. So I was able to get in there uh, and rent a room out at a place. Uh, thank God for that, because I really didn't have anywhere to go. I was basically homeless. You know, I was told to come and get my stuff and get out of there uh, simply because I defended my mom and I took a stand against him and he didn't like that. Um, but again, I say I did the right thing and I stand by that. Um, so I'm fresh out of high school <laughs> and, um, while all my friends are going to college, off to college, whether it be JC or universities, some of my boys are playing baseball and football, which I did as well. Uh, while they're doing all these things and their parents are making sure their tuitions are paid and, you know, they're helping them financially and they're letting them live at home so they can save money and focus on their education. I am kicked out um, and living on my own, trying to figure out what the heck I'm going to do with myself. And that was not easy. <laughs> so what happens when things like that happen? Trouble. At the end of 1993, I caught a DUI. I was 19 and wasn't supposed to be drinking, happened to be driving, and caught a DUI. That was the end of 93. At the top of 1994, I was caught in a graffiti vandalism sting. You heard right. And that was 1994. I was caught in a, in a sting operation that the San Jose PD had put in motion to catch graffiti artists and vandalism, uh, vandalizers. I used to be a very prolific graphic <laughs> graffiti artist uh, and was pretty well known throughout San Jose and the Bay Area. Um, but yeah, that didn't work out too well for me. Um, I ended up making another bad decision um, agreeing to do something that I shouldn't have done. And one day my face popped up on the news that I was being, they were looking for me, uh, along with, a, I think 80 something other graffiti artists face was on a Polaroid on the news. And that was that. And when I came back to the room I was renting, uh, the guy who I was renting from told me that the police were there and they were looking for me, and I should probably move out. So, again, <laughs> I am in trouble. So that was the DUI in 93. Months later, I'm busted for vandalism. Uh, all before I hit the age of 20. So it's it's it was a heck of a ride. Um, they actually tried to, which is very, very crazy... They tried to give me a year in the penitentiary for that. Uh, what they did was they gave me a year and a day. And during that time, 
you couldn't stay in the county jail for more than a year. If you got more than a year in county, this was back in 94. So if you got more than a year in county, that means you had to go get shipped to the penitentiary. So when I went to court, they gave me a year and a day. So they were trying to send me to the pen to make an example out of me. So that should tell you how much vandalism I did. Um, trains, walls, everything. I wasn't a graffiti. I wasn't a tagger. I was an actual one of the guys who would actually be bombing and doing trains and whatnot. Uh, that was a very long time ago. Um, so, yeah, I ended up shaking that a little bit because I had a good job um, and I was able to uh, get uh, house arrest for, I believe I was on house arrest for like nine months. Uh, and then I got a hefty fine that took me probably 10 years to pay because uh, it just took me forever. The fine, It was so much money. I had never... I would never have that much money in my pocket and and it took me years to, to pay that thing off. Um, so that was 94. Um, in 1995 was probably the worst year of my life because me and my best friend were caught in the crossfire of a gang fight and my car was hit 13 times. I was shot at four times at close range and 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 the guy missed. I to this day I don't know how he missed me. I fell to the ground. I thought for sure I was gone. Um and when I realized I hadn't been hit, uh I crawled underneath the engine, the front end of my car. Um but how he missed me, it's, I'm still, this had to have been an act from God or something, man. Because I remember trying to open the door because my best friend was sitting in the driver's seat listening to music. And I was outside and I remember telling him to open the door because they started shooting. And he said, what? The music was too loud. And I said, open the door. And I couldn't open the door. And the window was down. So I started to try to pull him through, like grab his shoulders. And as I was doing that, a guy jumps over, because I had a really small car, jumps on the trunk of my car and from a, from less than 10 feet, shoots four times from the trunk and I literally fall thinking I'm getting hit and he missed and that's takes me to where I was telling you I started to crawl on the ground and get underneath the front end of my car Everything started to slow down at that point, and I started hearing bullets, the shell casings. <clears throat> I could hear them one by one hitting the concrete. Everything was in slow motion. 
And I remember hearing tires screech and then everything stopped. And when I came out, my head was ringing. Everything was just a blur. And I remember hearing a lady from the top of this apartment complex yell out, your friend, your friend, get your friend. And I, and I, but I, at that time I couldn't hear what she was saying. I'm like, what? She's like, your friend, get your friend. And, uh, I turn around and I realize that my friend had been hit twice. And my windows were shot out. And I remember opening the door and telling him, come here, I got you, come here, come here. And I grabbed him from his legs and his neck to pull him out. And uh, he just asked me what happened, what happened. And I said, I got you. I got you. Come here. And uh, I remember a group of Samoan guys. Uh, there was a lot of Samoans in this neighborhood. And I remember these Samoan guys telling me, Yo, Oos, Oos, you got to let them go. You got to let them go. Let us help you. And I wouldn't let them go. And I remember these Samoan guys like, Oos, you got to let them go. You got to let them go. Move out of the way. Move out of the way. We'll pull them out. And I said, no, I'm not letting them go. And uh, they finally got me... Uh, got me off him and they pulled him out and I remember going and holding him and uh and I just remember losing him at that moment um very uh very vivid vivid picture um and and something I'll never forget. Uh, I had the terrible task of running through the apartment trying to find somebody who had a cell phone who could let me call his parents. And uh, when I called, they hung up on me because they didn't know who I was because I was hysterical. I was crying. And I... Uh, they thought I was somebody playing a prank or something. And I called back. I said, please don't hang up. And they told me, where are you at? And I said, he's, and he's, he's gone. He's gone. They said, where are you at? And I told them where we were at. And, uh, they showed up. They went to the hospital I was taken to the police department and, you know, questioned. And I remember getting the opportunity from the investigators to make a phone call. And I called my mom and I said, hey, can you um, can you call around? I don't know what hospital is that. Can you call around? And I remember my mom telling me that... Uh, she found out what hospital he was at and that he he didn't make it and i i said don't tell me that don't say that to me 
And she said he didn't make it. And uh, I remember falling on the ground and just weeping so hard because I couldn't believe it. It couldn't be true. Um, This was a nightmare, you know. And I just remember because he we were young. He had a couple of kids. He had three kids. And uh, I just, I couldn't face it, man. I uh, It was by far the hardest thing I had ever went through. And that was 1995. That was two years after I graduated. He was 20. I was 21. I became an alcoholic over the next year. (sighs) Yeah. And it was tough. I purchased a gun from a friend of mine which a lot of people didn't know I had. I rode around with it, not because I was a tough guy, but because I was in fear. I had never been involved in something like that before, but I rode around with a gun underneath my seat for the better part of a year and was absolutely an alcoholic. I was drinking anything that people would give me to try and numb the pain. And nothing worked. And then finally, a couple years go by. Fast forward to 98. I go to trade school. I finally took the advice of the officer who busted me, who pulled me aside and said I was an idiot, that I should be taking my talent and learning how to do it on the computer so I could get paid for it, so I could start a business or something. Three years later, or four years later, I ended up taking that advice, and I went to Master's Institute uh, to go to school to learn how to do websites and to learn how to do graphic design and coding and whatnot. Um, Great, right? Excellent. Life's back on track. Not so fast. (laughs) Remember, the podcast is called The Perfect Mess. Two weeks before I graduate from this school, I show up for my classes at night and I see three local news channels uh, posted outside of our school. And I'm thinking, what, someone gets shot? What happened? Someone die? And people tell me that the school is out of business. The school locked the doors, put signs on the doors that said, sorry, we are no longer in business Uh, Go to the website for more information. School is closed indefinitely. Yeah. (laughs) I can't make this up. So, two years before I'm supposed to get my associate's degree in multimedia and web design, the school that I paid or was paying nearly 20 grand to goes out of business. 
So there's that. Uh, the good thing that came out of that was I got all the knowledge. I learned everything. Didn't get the certificate, but I also didn't have to pay that loan back uh, because the school went out of business. So they said, look, you can transfer to this other school. You'll have to go for another year, which I was upset about because I only had two weeks left. And you'll have to pay your loan back or you can just take the knowledge you have, the, the loans wiped clean, and you just won't have your actual certificate, your degree. And I ran with it. I had all the materials, the software and everything, and I just said, to hell with it, man, I'm out. And that's how I left uh, my trade school. <laughs> um, I started doing music around that time as well, uh, which took me, you know, started. I started home in San Jose, and then that took me to Denver, Colorado. Uh, my mom had moved out there uh, to get away from my father and to try and start a new life. Uh, so uh, a couple years into my music, I moved out to Denver um, to expand, to, to get away from some things. I had made more bad decisions, um, and just things weren't working out for me out here, and I needed a change of scenery. And to be honest, I just needed to get away. Uh, I wasn't in the right place at the right time. Uh, I had tried to, uh, at one point, I had tried to enlist in the Marine Corps, and that's what my whole family did. So I wanted to join the Marines. It was it had always been something that I wanted to do, uh, to follow in the family uh, thing, you know, because my grandfather was, my uncles were, my dad was, and I got, uh, I passed with flying college everything that they needed to do, and then they called me and told me to come on in, and they told me that they pulled my medical records. Uh, and told me that I had a history of asthma. And at that time, they weren't taking people who had asthma because they said they had lawsuits because people had died at boot camp due to asthma, which eventually, years down the line, from what I understand, they uplifted that and people were able to enlist. I was devastated by that, totally devastated, because I was trying everything to get my life right, and nothing was working. I mean, I thought the military, why would they turn me down? I was in good shape. I was young. I was ready to go. And not even that worked. So everything was just closing down on me, man. It was really bad. Um, so, yeah. So I, I moved out to Denver. Um, got really heavy into music. Um, I did get a job out there. And, uh, but I was doing music more than anything. Uh, signed my first deal, put out an album through Koch um, Distribution, which was very huge during that time, and, and a label called Paid in Full. And it was short-lived because, as you guys know, the music industry is a terrible industry to be involved in. <laughs> it's just a very tough industry. Uh, my group was signed during the time that Jim Jones had dropped the song Ballin', and if you guys remember that song, it was a smash. He was the guy on Koch, and everybody else kind of just fell by the wayside, and that included us, and it just didn't do what it was supposed to do, um, and it is what it is. <laughs> um, I kept doing music, though. Uh, I moved back to the Bay Area after a four- to five-year stint in Denver, uh, 
did a lot of shows out there. And then I came back, kept doing my independent thing, started a group with my brother Trey, and uh, we toured all over the U.S., all over Canada, uh, and just really built a big following and were able to make some pretty good money and connect with a lot of people and do some really amazing things. And that's where a lot of people started to find out who I was and what I did and whatnot. Um, so it was a good run. Uh, in between all those years, I ended up getting married. Um, like I tell, like I told you, uh, I married the girl that back in 88, uh, in middle school that I had, uh, that I had met and basically had fallen in love with when I was a kid. Uh, you know, obviously we, uh, we were young, so nothing serious happened when we were young, but we always kept in touch. And then eventually after high school, years later, you know, 20, like I said, 20 years later, uh, we ended up finding each other and I asked her to marry me and was ready to do the lifelong marriage like we're supposed to do, which I had always wanted to do. I had always wanted to be a father. I had always wanted to be married, and I was hell-bent on breaking the curse in my family. I didn't want to go through divorce. I didn't want to have kids and, and be in a broken home. I was like, I'm going to be the one to break the chain in my family. That's my goal, and I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna fight for my marriage, whether it's good, bad, whatever. I'm gonna do whatever it takes to stay married. I am not going to get divorced. It's not going to happen. We'll get there. <laughs> um. So that was 2008. Got married. Had two beautiful kids. The first one was 2009. It's my son Jordan Ray, and uh, and then the second was 2011. That is my little guy, Jaden Edgardo. A lot of you guys know him as Schmidi. And uh, yeah, and then 2012, uh, I was part of a big layoff at a company I had worked at for five years. And that was that. A lot of us got our walking papers that day. And I came home with two kids, uh, one who was just about to turn one. No, he was, he was one already. Um, two kids, a wife, and no job. Uh, a little bit of money from my 401k, a little bit of money from a couple of checks they gave me, and that was that. And getting a job during that time was very hard. Uh, couldn't find anything, so filed for unemployment got unemployment and started to be honest with you I started ride sharing I needed to have some money coming in and so I started ride sharing and I did that and I also said you know I'm gonna I'm gonna jump full-time into my business and I'm gonna try and make this thing successful uh now's the time so um, I did ride sharing uh I started running my business 408 Inc and basically was a stay-at-home dad in between there where I'd raise my kids took them to daycare every day picked them up from daycare uh, when they started school I took them to school bring them like everything I did everything so uh, which was 
good at the time. You know, I was doing my part to make sure uh, that the kids were being taken care of and my schedule worked. I could work from home. I could take the boys on, you know, my runs with to go do things for my own job. And it worked out. Um, at least I thought it did. <laughs> and you just never know what's coming. You know what I mean? Um, it had been, well, that was, I was there at the company for five years. So I had been through a few layoffs before, but this, this one hit me a lot harder because, uh, I had a family and I got to tell you, so the day that I got laid off, I, I had heard that I was on the list. So I printed out a black and white photo and I put of my family and I put it in a plastic sleeve and I tied it around my neck and I wore it all day because I wanted, I wanted the people in those, that office to know you're laying me off. This is who you're affecting. You're affecting me and my family. I wanted them to know. I knew they wouldn't give a damn. You know, it's a multi-million dollar company but I wanted to make a point so I wore that all day people kept telling me man you shouldn't do that just take it off bro but I knew my name was on the list I had already been told by two or three creditable people that were from the front offices I already knew I was I was going to be on that list so I made sure that if they were going to lay me off they knew how this was affecting me and yeah that is what it is (laughs) but very interesting way to go out. You know what I mean? Uh, financially, things were hard. And, you know, by I could never make the amount of money that I was making at that job. I got close a few times, but I, I was always struggling to make money. Um, and it was tough. So by 2017, I was facing a divorce. Uh, my wife of eight years decided we had grown apart. And in a nutshell, told me she had checked out. Exact words. Um, it's tough. I remember feeling disconnected from her and trying everything to spark something for us. Because we never fought. We never really argued. It, like, it was very rare. Like, we would disagree, but it was very rare that we never argued. And, like, my kids don't have these memories of us arguing or doing anything. Like, it was nothing like that. And I remember trying to rekindle our relationship. And I remember sending a text because we hadn't, we hadn't been intimate in a very long time. like long and I did everything I was trying like you know because I know you know women go through these things when they have kids they don't feel they don't feel pretty anymore they don't feel confident or you know some women go through postpartum I didn't I didn't understand all that I was trying to figure out whatever I could do hey let's 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 go on a walk together let's exercise together let's do something let's take the boys to the park together let's walk like we used to let's let's do something you know and nothing was working uh and one one day i sent a text to her at work cuz i didn't know how to connect and i 
said, hey, I, you know, I don't mean to bug you at work, but, you know, I'm just wondering if you and I can talk later and, I don't know, reconnect personally, spend some time and light that candle, if you know what I mean. And uh, I just remember her firing back with uh, what makes you think it's okay for you to send me a text like this at work. And I said, I don't know how else to talk to you. I'm trying everything and you're just not being responsive. And she's like, yeah, but I'm at work. Texting me like this is not acceptable. And I just remember feeling so cold like it was just the switch was off and she said but you're right we do need to talk and she came home didn't say much of anything and went to bed that night and I was woken up at about 5.30 in the morning the very next day and that's when she told me she was leaving me I've went through quite a few hard days in my life, but this was definitely the hardest because I lost or I was losing my wife. I was losing my family. I I was basically losing everything that had made me me. I became really sick I ended up in the hospital and the doctor had told me or asked me what was going on. Are you stressed? What's going on with you? Are you okay? Um, what are you dealing with? And I, I mean, I was, there, I was, I, I was coughing so bad that I was spitting up mucus and I would almost lose consciousness and start to kind of shake. I didn't know what was going on with me. And so I told the doctor what I was going through, and he had told me, you'd be surprised how many men and women who show up here uh, going through a divorce, going through what I'm going through at that moment, uh, and end up in my situation, uh, that my body was shutting down. And uh, we did chest x-rays and everything, and he told me he wanted to keep me there. And I said, I can't afford this. Uh, I need to go home. So they gave me a bunch of medication. And before I left, he's like, you know, you need to take care of yourself. You told me you have children. You got to be here for your children. You have to take care of yourself. Because you don't look good right now. And uh, I went home. And I spent the next six months trying to save my marriage I moved everything into the garage or I moved myself into the garage and uh, I tried everything to save my marriage I mean you name it and nothing was working but everybody in my corner was like don't give up stay there don't leave fight for your family and I said I'm not leaving uh until 
the morning that I got served divorce papers. I got a knock on the door in the morning, and it was my mother-in-law, and I, uh, she said sorry, and she handed me divorce papers. And all I kept thinking was, what did I do that was so wrong? I thought back to my parents and my dad and my mom. And I said, man, I didn't do any of those things. I didn't have a drinking problem. I didn't do drugs. I wasn't physically abusive. I wasn't verbally abusive. I didn't party like I was single. She never had to worry about me. What did I do that was so wrong? What did I do that wasn't fixable? And how come I wasn't given the chance to, to fix it? But it was over. I put the papers in my backpack and uh, I didn't look at them for a week because I didn't want to see them and I didn't want to accept it. But I knew it was over. Uh, I had been looking for an office for my business during that time. And during that time, I had found a job. Uh, which I picked up because I thought I was going to save my marriage. Uh, oddly enough, the job was through a company that had hired me through my business to do some sign work for them and some graphic design work for them. So they were paying me two checks. They were paying me for my business, my company, to do work for them. And then they also gave me an office there and were paying me to be an employee there. Crazy, right? Uh, I went and looked for an office for my business and I filled out the paperwork and whatever. And this was during that time. And the day that I got served paperwork, uh, the divorce papers, I got a call when I was at my office at work that I had got approved for the office and it was mine that I just had to go put a deposit down. Um, that day, I made the decision to say if it's over, then I'm going head in to my plan of jumping both feet in with, of my business and taking care of myself and my boys. And I filled out the paperwork to turn, out, turn in my two weeks notice at this company. On my lunchtime, I went and gave the deposit to the property owners, and I got the keys, and that was that. Uh, the next chapter of my life was starting. Uh, not the way I wanted it to start, though, to be honest. Um, I basically left the house 
with nothing. Um, the six months I was there uh, were starting to get really rocky. Right before I had got served papers, they were starting to get edgy. The disagreements started to get a little bit more heated. There were never nothing real crazy, but I started to feel the tension. And I knew that I didn't have to legally, I didn't have to move, but I knew that I didn't want my kids to see anything. I didn't want my kids to see fighting, arguing. I just didn't want my kids to have any memories of that stuff because I have all those memories. So I made the hardest decision of my life and I said, okay, I'm going to move. And I took my kids to school a couple of days and I would slowly take stuff from the garage and put it in the car and I had a buddy of mine helping me and I would take them and move the stuff to the office and slowly taking stuff out so they wouldn't notice. Uh, but when I was done, it, I looked around and realized I'm never coming back here again. I'm never sleeping here as this being my home with my family again. This is it. So I left. And the first night that I spent away from my kids, I uh, went to such a dark place that I... I'll be honest, I wanted to die. I didn't want to live anymore because the pain that I was feeling because I knew that I was now separated from my children and that my marriage had failed. And I felt like I let them down. Like that disappointment was so hard. I had never felt any more pain than I felt that day, that night. I felt so alone. I felt abandoned. I felt I felt let down. I felt everything that you could imagine. I felt it a hundred times. And uh, I wanted to die. called a buddy of mine and I asked him if he could get me a gun he said I know you went through a divorce I know you're going through a divorce I'm not I'm not getting you that I'm not doing it I don't even really know what I wanted it for man to be honest with you but I know I didn't want to live and I it was best that he didn't give that to me because I don't know what I would have used it for. But I was low. I was at my lowest point. I was broken, man. I was I was hurt. Um and I felt like a complete failure. Everything that made me who I was was gone. 
things that I never thought were going to happen, happened. And then one day my son Jordan asked me about Jesus. <laughs> I, uh, driving one day and they start asking me about Jesus. I'm driving and he says, Hey daddy, why is he sometime on the couch? I mean, why is he sometimes on the cross and sometimes he's not? And I'm in a zone while I'm driving. I'm like, and both of my kids are sitting in the back seat. And I'm like, what are you talking about? He says, right there. And he points. And I look over and there is a, we're by a cemetery. And there's a cross. And Jesus is not on it. But he's, he's like, why is he on the cross sometimes? And why is he not on it sometimes? I said, oh, you know, I explained to him. Oh, that's when he's on there's symbolizing him being crucified. Um because they didn't believe in him so they crucified him and sometimes they just have the cross it's just a symbol and uh that was that he proceeds to ask me another question and another question and we're at a red light and i turn around and i go why are you asking so many questions and he says because i want to learn about jesus mind you i hadn't taken my kids to church i had we had never done a night we prayed you know prayed before we went to bed prayed for our food like the typical stuff did our daily thanks um but i'd never taken him to church never done any of that stuff um and i looked at him and i said what he says i want to learn about jesus and i go are you telling me you want to go to church he's like yeah i want to go to church and when he says that my little guy says yeah i want to go to church too there's seven and five at this time. And I immediately, light turns green, I I, uh, I pull over and I'm just kind of in tears, man. And they're like, Daddy, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm okay. Give me a minute. Because he, they had never talked to me about that. And I was blown away. It's funny how he tries to get your attention when you're not paying attention and things aren't working and he uses the one thing that hits you in the heart. And for me, that was my children. Um, a couple of weeks go by, uh, I end up meeting somebody who comes by my office and says uh, they're with a church. And 10 years of business, I had never done work for a church. Go figure, this woman shows up at my office and says, can you do this tablecloth and put the church logo on it? I said, for sure. Uh, we end up having a long talk. Uh, before she leaves, she says, hey, do you mind if I pray for you? And I look at her and I say, uh, she's like, hey, if it's uncomfortable for you, I understand. I know it's kind of weird, but I feel like I need to. I, I feel like you're going through something. And I said, you know, no one's asked me to do that since I was a, a boy. Um, but sure. <laughs> she ends up praying for me. Um, she leaves. And I'm still kind of weirded out by it, to be honest. Uh, she comes back a week later uh, to pick up her job. And 
she has a book with her um and it's basically a daily passage book that basically starts your day you know it's it has a date of the day and you just read that passage and she goes i got this for you uh it just thought it might help you i have one and i just got it for you and i said did you buy this for me she said yeah i said oh wow so she gives me this and i said you know if you keep doing stuff like this i'm gonna end up having you slide your jobs through my mail slot at my door <laughs> i said because it's getting a little weird and uh anyways we both laughed uh but yeah i ended up uh dropping off another job physically to the church and met the pastor there who happens to be a couple years older than me we hit it off he asked my situation i told him uh my kids were playing around in the jumpy houses there for their grand opening and to make a long story short i ended up staying there um, because i felt comfortable because my kids loved it and i just started going uh so i jumped in and that's thanks to my children man uh they got me situated um i started going to the gym and to be honest i didn't go to the gym because of what you think uh I ended up at the gym because, and this is very hard for me to say, uh, I ended up going to the gym because I didn't have a place to shower. I had, uh, I had a place to rest my head, but I did not have a shower, and I didn't have a kitchen. So I got a membership at the gym. And I started going in there to shower every day. And I started to feel uncomfortable because I started to realize, or at least my conscience started to make me realize that employees kind of were catching on that I was just going in there to shower and come back out, um, that I wasn't actually working out. So I started feeling guilty. Uh, so to not feel guilty, I started doing like these little 15, 15, 20 minute workouts. Uh, just don't, I didn't have no plan. I just went in there and just started doing the machines and then I'd go take a shower. Um, there were plenty of, uh, plenty of nights where I would be in that shower and I would be in absolute tears wondering how the hell I ended up there I would be crying to the point where I would cover my mouth because I didn't want anybody to hear me what I was going through I didn't want no one to hear me but I was broken man I was in that shower thinking, how do I go from being married for eight years, having two beautiful kids and living with, having a home with my family and life just being whole to not having a shower, to not having a kitchen, to not having anything. What happened? And I just 
it would tear me up. Because I felt like I was in jail. I felt like I was in this shower stall, like I was in jail. But I kept going. I uh, kept going to the gym and I started to see results. I started, my workouts started to get longer because I started to feel strong again. So I just started working out. I started uh, getting good results. Um, I was making decent money, but never really making a whole lot of money. So I couldn't be eating out all the time. Like I said, I didn't have a kitchen. And uh, a buddy of mine <clears throat> from church uh, put me on to intermittent fasting. And I thought, hey, man. This is a way for me, I, I don't know if I can do this, but this is a way for me to not only lose some weight, but save some money because I won't be eating all day. I'll only have an eight hour window to eat because I'll go uh, 16 hours off where I won't eat nothing and just drink water, black coffee and green tea. And then I have eight hours to eat. This was perfect. If I could make this work, I could save money, not eat so much. And that would help me. Um, and it did. I stayed busy in the gym. I started to get really serious about my workouts. I started learning about working out. I started learning what to do to lose weight. I started learning different exercises. I started buying equipment to work out. It, it literally consumed me. And over the span of two years, <clears throat> I've lost nearly 50 pounds I've gained a bunch of muscle. I the transformation that I that I seen gave me the most confidence I had had in a long time after this divorce. Um spiritually my mind and my and my soul was right. <clears throat> I've been going to church for you know two nights, two nights and two nights a week I'd go on Sundays. And then I would also go on Wednesdays for our men's group. And that would help me keep uh, keep grounded, keep plugged in. And, uh, and I would work out and run my business and try to be the best father I could be. Put everything into being the best father I could be. And it started to work. And I started to pull myself out of this hole, out of this dark place. Um... Through all this time of dealing with all that, I was coaching baseball. I was teaching an after-school program. I was mentoring at-risk kids. You name it, I was doing it. I was doing all of this and still am doing all this uh, while being in the situation I told you. Um, and a lot of people don't know that but the people I that do know ask me how are you how are you doing this when your situation isn't right like how are you helping these people and you're not like how how could you do this when you're still trying to figure out your own life and I learned something you continue to move forward. You help 
even when you can't help yourself. You give when all you can give is just your physical presence to to do something to help. When you don't got money, when you don't got things to give, and all you can do is say, hey, I can be here to help. What do you need me to do? And I just started helping. I started teaching. I started coaching. I started helping whoever I whoever needed help. Even though I was in the gutter, even though I didn't have a shower, even though I didn't have a kitchen to cook myself a meal, I didn't have anything. I helped. I kept moving forward. And when I would fall, dust myself off I get back up and the days that I couldn't get back up I would crawl I always tell people that I have all these scars and when I would not be around my boys I would crash and burn every night literally crash and burn go off into a dark place and my scars would just be terrorizing me and then I'd wake up and I'd bandage my arms up not physically but mentally I'd so to say bandage my scars up put a smile on and go get my boys and my theory was they never needed to see a crack They never needed to see any of my scars. They never needed to see me in the gutter with my spirits down. I never showed them that. And that was very important because they needed what they needed to see from me was a strong father, someone that they could believe in, someone that they knew when they were with me was okay, that they were taken care of. That's what they needed to see. They didn't need to hear that I was going through all this. They didn't need to see all that. They didn't need to see me broken down and in pain. So I covered it all up. But when I would take them back home, I would let my scars fly. I would let them fly because it's who I am. It's who, it's it's part of who's what's making me me now. And it's proof that whatever was trying to kill me wasn't strong enough, that I was stronger than whatever was trying to kill me. Whether it be a failed divorce, whether it be a lost job, whether it be the memories of my childhood, whatever the the case may be, it wasn't strong enough that I was still here, I was standing. So when I wasn't with them, I let those scars fly. And I wore them as a shield, as a, as a badge. And every time I go into that gym, I let them fly. And there were plenty of times when I would work out and I would, I would be in tears while I was working out. And I know for a fact, for an absolute fact, people at the gym saw me crying while I was working out. Not weeping, but they would see tears while I was working out. Because I was at war with myself. I was intentionally trying to break myself. It was my goal. 
I wanted to break myself every day to see how strong I really was. I needed to see what my breaking point was. And then when I reached that point, I'd patch myself back up and then I try to get to the next point. But break myself again. And then when I got to that point, I patched myself back up and then I'd find the next level. Every day I worked on breaking who I was to build myself back up and then get at it again. I needed to find out what I was made of. I needed to find out who the hell am I? Because the last time I was single, I didn't have children. I wasn't a father. And the last time I had went to church, they didn't have the Bible app. They had physical Bibles. We were using the Bible app in church. On our iPads, on our phones. That's how long. It had been 27 years since I had been to church. 27. But I spent all this time continuously putting myself to the test. Not only that, I was reading and I still read. I read everything that I could. I started reading books about minimalizing uh, your life, minimalizing things in your life. I started reading guys who had went through similar things that I did and how they battled back and how they became a success story. And I kept myself buried in the gym and church and reading and teaching and coaching. And I tried to be involved in everything. And I gave everything 100%. And it was interesting because during this time, I started getting contacted on social media by people asking me or telling me they were inspired by what I was doing, um, that they can't wait to be a father because they see how me and my kids are and that uh, I I was basically the image of a father that they wished they had when they were growing up, which was weird to me because I, I was just being me with my children. But I I know our bond was strong and it was unreal but i it became more evident the more and more people started contacting me saying man following you on instagram is is crazy i love to see the bond with your children i love how you're you're positive and you're inspirational and when you work out you don't just put a picture up you put up a a long caption of the things that you're struggling with um and if nobody's telling you this i'm telling you it's inspiring and I started to get more of these. I started to get more people contacting me. And uh, I didn't know what to do with it. It was so weird to me. Because I'm still broken. And to hear that, again, other people are telling me that they're inspired by what I'm doing. They had no idea what I'm going through at the time. I'm only giving you a taste of what I'm going through on social media. But I'm not giving you the full story. Um, I'm going to fast forward to something real quick. During this time, uh, a buddy of mine, uh, Steve Shippey, 
A lot of you guys may know him as the artist Prozac from Strange Music. But Steve Shippey is a, a really good friend of mine. And uh, he, he would tell me, man, because he was one of the guys when I was going through this divorce and through this whole situation, he would be on the phone with me. And he'd say, man, I don't know how you're doing it, but you inspire the hell out of me. And uh, you need a podcast. He's like, I know you listen to podcasts all the time. He's like, you need a podcast. You need you need to be heard. And I said, no, nah, I don't know how to do all that. And I don't want to I don't want to jump into that lane. I don't know anything about it. And he's like, OK, man, but I'm telling you, your story needs to be heard because there are millions of men and women that are going through what you're going through and don't have a clue of how to get out of it. And your story needs to be heard. And I kind of brushed it off. So I'm going to fast forward to a story that doesn't sound like it fits in, but it, it totally fits in. Okay, so let me explain to you. I go to Arizona with my kids. Uh, not a planned trip to Arizona. We we go to Southern California, but we end up going to Arizona from L.A. Uh, because we realize the Giants are in Arizona. And we love the Giants. And uh, in particular, my kids love Mike Yastrzemski, who is uh, a rookie for the Giants and the grandson of Carl Yastrzemski, who was the Hall of Famer from the Boston Red Sox. Uh, we go to Arizona and buy some tickets to go to a game. And when we get there, my son's like, hey, make a sign, make a sign. Let's go get a sign. And, and I'm like, we're going to be late. He's like, we can grab one real quick. I'm like, all right, let's go. So we go to a CVS. I'm like, what do you want to put on it? He's like, put it, put, hit it here, Yaz. This is my little guy, Jaden, telling me. He's like, here, right, hit it here, Yaz, daddy. And I'm like, hit it here, Yaz? He's like, yeah. Because he knew we were sitting in the outfield, in right field where Yaz plays. So I'm like, all right. I give him my phone and I start writing. My son might be a photographer. He loves taking pictures. So he ends up snapping a picture of me making the sign on the hood of my car. <clears throat> Excuse me. And uh, we end up going to the game. And lo and behold, Yaz hits a home run in our section. And our sign hits TV and the radio. And because he hit it basically like feet away from us. And we're going nuts. Uh, but what I didn't realize was we were on TV. I didn't even, I didn't think, my, I was just going nuts that the guy hit the home run. You know, it was amazing. Uh, but I didn't realize that the sign had our Instagram name at the bottom of it. I don't know why I wrote that, but I wrote it. I always do for some reason. So we're holding the sign up and we're on national TV apparently. My phone starts blowing up. People from the Bay Area are messaging me, telling me that we're on TV, that the radio guys are talking about us, about the TV guys are talking about us. And I'm like, what do you mean? And it's because of the sign. And I start getting crazy DMs from people I don't even know. And I don't know how these people are finding my DM, my Instagram, but they're sending me videos and photos of us on TV. And so apparently... We've gone viral. Yaz proceeds to hit two more home runs that day. He hits one to left field. He hits one to center field. 
So if you're keeping track, he hit one to each field. Historic day for this rookie from the Giants. He hits three home runs every time they pan to our sign and are basically saying our sign is part of this magical moment in this rookie's career. And I'm at this point, I'm kind of just at a loss for words because now I'm realizing that we're all over the place. My phone's blowing up. Social media's blowing up. And uh, John Miller the Hall of Fame uh, broadcaster from the Giants does a story on us. I had no idea he was going to do. He does a story on us, releases it on Instagram. I get a call the next morning that we're on John Miller's Instagram, and he's talking about us and about me being a single father and about us taking a trip to Arizona and about the sign and about everything. Mind-blowing. Uh, we head back to the Bay Area to make a long story short, end up getting on KMBR radio, interviewed by uh, Murph and Mac, um, and my kids go viral. <laughs> this is not because of me. This is because of my children. Uh, so it was quite, <laughs> it was quite interesting. <laughs> um, so from then. Steve calls me, Steve Shippey, my, my buddy, calls me and says, hey, you need a podcast. Now I'm telling you, you have to do the podcast. People are not going to believe your story. They need to hear you. You need to do it now. Strike while the iron's hot. Just do it. Don't make it a music podcast. Don't make it, uh, don't make it anything. Don't make it urban. Just make it about you and your life. Make it about reality. Make it about real life. About everything that encompasses you. And tell your story. And not only that, as it grows, bring people in that have a similar story of inspiration, of triumph, of pain, of struggle. Bring those people in. But more importantly, tell your story. I'm telling you, Ray, you're going to inspire so many people. You're going to give people hope. And still, I, I agreed with him that I needed to do a podcast at this point, but I still didn't believe that I had the power to do that. My pastor began to tell me I needed a a podcast because of my story. Friends started to tell me that and random people on social media started telling me you need a podcast. I don't know where this is going. I don't know if this is going to be something big. I don't know if this is going to be something that I just do. But I made the decision to jump off into it and say, to hell with it, man. I'm going to, I'm going to live my truth. And that's what I'm doing. I'm going to live my truth. Oddly enough, there's more to all of that. 
um, in between all that, I, I went broke. Um, and when I say broke, I mean broke, like negative dollars in all three of my bank accounts. And we'll get to that in another podcast. Um, literally, I was literally living my own uh, pursuit of happiness. <laughs> to put it nicely, if you've ever seen that movie, uh, that was my life. Is my life. Uh, I was very nervous on doing this podcast. I didn't want to do it, actually. Uh, I kept putting it off. I got the logo designed, and I was like, okay, I'm going to put the logo on Instagram, and it's going to make me do it. If I put it out there, I have to own it. Um, So that's what I did. (laughs) And... I I I waited weeks and weeks, but I start I was promoting it. I started doing these things called uh, ninety seconds of inspiration, and I made sure to put the logo on there. And I would use the podcast uh, Instagram, and I would promote it. So I would do these things just to kind of ease my way into it. Uh, and then, boom, the coronavirus hits, COVID nineteen. The world shuts down. And when I say the world, I mean the entire world shuts down. My grandfather is 89 years old, and uh, I asked him about this, if he had ever seen anything like this. And in his 89 years, he told me he has never seen or lived through anything like this before in his life. The entire world has stopped. People aren't working. They are being told to stay home. They are being told to quarantine, to stay in their homes, to not go in public. And if you do go to go in public, you can only be out there for the essentials, to grab food, to do your laundry if you need to go out. But that's pretty much it. Stay home. They even cut off hiking, going to the high school tracks to run and exercise. They cut it all off. And if you go out there, they're advising you to wear a mask. Because thousands and thousands and thousands upon thousands of people across the country and our country and millions across the world are infected. And... In my county, we have the highest number of infections in the Bay Area, in Northern California. Uh, And I believe we lead in deaths. And oddly enough, this is lightweight. No, let me take that back. This was 
what I've been pre- been preparing for for the last three years. My life hasn't changed much. The way I've been living for the last three years has prepared me for this moment. My mind is stronger. My living situation was built for this. It was. And this has given me time to move into move into position and to put everything that I've been doing to the test, all the work I've been putting into to the test, working on my mental health, working on my physical, getting better, growing my business. This moment couldn't have happened at a stranger time because it's almost like it was the perfect timing for me to finally put everything that I've been going through to the test and I'm stronger than I've ever been and what that means is I'm able to lead my kids through this and be a shining light for a lot of my friends and family and people that I don't even know that follow me in times that are dark right now. There are a lot of people that are losing their faith, that are that are giving up, that don't believe that we're going to come out of this, that have an absolute fear. And this is where I'm finding that moment for me to take it and run with it and to help people find their peace and to find their faith and to know that we will pull through this. And it's because I've went through so much in my life. I I believe in this, that I've went through so much and I've worked so hard To get better, to get stronger physically, mentally, spiritually. That this happens, the world gets put on pause, shuts down. And this is my opportunity. It's given me a chance to do this podcast. I have no excuse to put it off anymore. None. Steve tells me, now's your time. Now's your time. Everything you've been doing during this this quarantine, everything you've been doing, I've been watching you, is inspiring. Now's your time. You got to do it now. So... I decided to do it. I've been breaking myself and rebuilding myself for so long 
trying to see how strong I am mentally and physically. And this is the ultimate test. And I haven't cracked one bit. And I say that because if you're watching or if you're listening to this, I want you to understand. You can go through the depths of hell and make it out. If you want something, if you want to change, if you want to live a better life, if you want a better career, if you want a stronger spiritual life, if you want a better relationship, if you want to be a better father, a better mother, if you want to be better at life, if you want to be someone that can be called because someone is down, if you want to be that that person that people look to, that inspires them. That gives them hope. If you want to be these things. If you want to look in the mirror. And love who you see. Because there was a time I didn't love who I seen. I hated it. If you want to be all those things. You can do it. I'm telling you. You can do it. But you have to want it more than you. You you have to treat it like. If you don't do it, you're not going to be able to breathe and you're going to die. You have to want it more than anybody else wants it. Nobody can want it more than you. There is nobody that can tell you, hey, Ray, let's do this. Let's, you should do that. No. And you just, oh, okay. You have to want it more than anybody. And not only that, you have to do the work. And it's not going to be easy. It's not. I am not going to lie to you. It's going to be hard. You're going to break. And you're going to crumble. And you're going to hurt. So bad. But when you hurt. And you crumble. And you break. You put yourself back together. Put a smile on your face. And you crawl. And when you're done crawling, you get up and you walk. And then when you're strong enough, you jog. And then when you get even stronger, you run. You can do it. I know. I'm doing it. And I'm here to tell you, you can do it. That's pretty much my story. Now, there are a lot of things that I left out because we're coming up on two hours now. I didn't think this was going to be more than an hour, to be honest. So hopefully you've had some time to sit down and listen to this. But uh, we'll dig in deeper as I bring in guests uh and we start doing some uh some in-depth talks with some some of the great guests that I have lined up and uh as we go through hopefully you get some uh some inspiration and some some knowledge and some 
information and things that that can help you get through your situations whatever it is you're going through but uh i knew this was going to be a doozy so for what it's worth that is my truth and i wear it and i own it and it is what it is you can follow us on instagram at the perfect mess pod once again, Instagram at the Perfect Mess Pod. Our Facebook is the Perfect Mess Podcast. And again, if you like what you hear and you like the story and you want to support the podcast, you can go to patreon.com the perfect slash the perfect mess pod. Patreon.com slash the perfect mess pod. And you can join there and there's different packages and whatnot. Uh, you can find out some information on how to support the podcast. Other than that, that is what I have. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed it. I will check in with you guys later. Thanks again. You have a very, very blessed, blessed night and uh, or day if you're listening from somewhere else. And hopefully you guys are being safe, staying healthy, staying home. And uh, don't lose your faith. We're going to be okay. All right? We're definitely going to be okay. Have a good one. I'm Ray Molina, the Perfect Mess Podcast. Thank you. Perfect mess is my perfect mess. Perfect.